Nibbling on sponge cake, watching the sun bake, all of those tourists covered in oil. Welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is more Jimmy Buffett in honor of sunny Miami, Florida, and its 20 race car driving tourists. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? You know, great man once said that everybody's got a cousin in Miami, but I think that statement may not hold up when you consider the F1 driver's grid. I got the sense that not a single one of those guys had a cousin in Miami or anywhere near it. Uh, also nowhere near Miami, Danny O'Dwyer, who is on assignment this week. But if you are new to this podcast, there's usually three of us. But in any case, a very warm welcome to you. If you're new to Formula One itself, we've got an episode just for you, our preseason primer episode assumes no prior f1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is so if you'd like to go back and listen to that it's episode 216 also this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift f1 where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films f1 video games uh, experiments with other racing series and a lot of weird things so if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff Head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. This month, Rob, we put it to a vote and our patrons responded with anime. Uh, This month, we will be watching Redline, a 2009 film that, according to Wikipedia, took seven years to make uh, and features over 100,000 hand-drawn frames. Some people in the Discord were saying... uh, that it is absolutely bonkers. Uh, I saw one quote uh, from a review saying or calling it uh, "Speed Racer on Crack," and I honestly can't imagine what that must look like. So I am very much looking forward to that. Sold, absolutely. Month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's not why we're here. Not yet, anyway. Uh, we're here for the Miami Grand Prix, Rob, the second annual Miami Grand Prix. Uh, kicking things off here with qualifying, which ended in spectacular fashion when Charles Leclerc, on his final run, spun off the track and into a wall, bringing out the red flag with about 90 seconds to go, meaning that there wasn't enough time to restart the session, which also meant anyone who hadn't yet completed their final lap was done. Well, and this was... So I had thought... Uh Two people had botched their first runs out in Q3, and I thought Max Max did the smart thing. Once he knew his lap was scrubbed, he went straight into the pits. He didn't complete mm-hmm. the lap to do a cooldown. And I figured, well, that's smart because then he can just like go right back out and get that lap done. But he hit the same end of session. He was going for the same end of session window that everyone always goes to uh, with their second run. So like that was the part that kind of confused me is you hadn't registered a time yet. Uh, and, and so, like, the timing may not have worked out where you kind of maybe there's no point in going out in the middle of a session like that because the, the, the times will get faster at the end. But it did kind of strike me that, like, he was leaving it a little bit late for having not set a time at all. Uh, whereas, um, I want to say, was it Signs uh, had also sort of uh, screwed up his lap. But it might have actually just been Leclerc. But in, in either case, um, you know, they completed the lap and I think uh, placed seventh. I think that was the Claire. That was the Claire, yeah. Uh, in, in that case. Yeah, so like at least at least set the time uh, that that would sort of that would sort of hold up. But either way, it was sort of a dream scenario for us because it was one of those like not quite finished fields. 
uh, that we get. Like everyone in that sort of sorted out into you know where their maybe where their car's true pace was uh, for, for the weekend. So you know Charles giving us a a bit of a gift in in some ways with that. It did seem I, I was struck by on the broadcast how much the it feels at least like the worm has turned when it comes to the narrative on on uh, Charles Leclerc that maybe it's mostly Brundle I'm reacting to, but the, the, the notion that like he does tend to come up short and make mistakes in what to borrow a, you know, a, ba- a baseball phrase uh, in these high leverage situations uh, where, you know, where the, where the driver really needs to be the difference maker. And it, it does kind of feel like this stuff like does tend to happen around Ferrari and around Leclerc, but I'm also not sure they're a team that, again, has the luxury to not wring every ounce of performance out of the car uh, in these sessions. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a, a salient point because he's he lost it because he was pushing and he's pushing because he has to. Um, also, out of starting position, arguably, is Lewis Hamilton, who blamed traffic for his exit in Q2. Uh, he will line up in 13th place, but the full grid here. Uh, with Max Verstappen being unable to set that lap, um, uh, he uh, seated, or I guess, you know, w- did not contend for pole position, did not uh, come close to taking it from his teammate, Sergio Perez, who lines up in first, next to Fernando Alonso in second, then Carlos Sainz in third, and Kevin Magnussen in fourth, his first time out qualifying his teammate Nico Hulkenberg this year uh, and doing it with style in Haas's one of Haas's home Grand Prix. Uh, Pierre Gasly lines up in fifth, uh, another good result in qualifying from him. Uh, George Russell in sixth, Charlotte Claire seventh, Esteban Ocon eighth, Max Verstappen ninth, and Valtteri Bottas rounding out the top ten. Behind them, Alex Albon in 11th, Nico Hulkenberg in 12th, Lewis Hamilton in 13th, Joe Guan Yu in 14th, Nick DeVries in 15th. Then we've got Lando Norris, Yuki Tsunoda, Lance Stroll, Oscar Piastri, and hometown boy, Logan Sargent. So one last thought about qualifying, because this just hit me while I was watching it. And remember last week I was talking about, like, there's something about these cars, the the tires. There's just something about their their handling that doesn't seem fun uh, in a lot of ways. This seems frustrating. And I think it actually hit me watching how everyone was going in Miami, which is that it seems to me like these cars are so stiff that they're just absolute pigs in low-speed corners that, like, you have to crank them around. They turn like boats. Uh, they are not nimble, and they are prone to that like devastating understeering. And I think part of that is also because, like, you know, so much of their so much of their aero now is uh, like like underfloor. Basically, it's 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 underneath the car. But you have this weird to me, like watching watching the drives. It's this weird, the drivers. It's this weird combination of the cars are uh, like more upset by going over the curbs than they were in previous years. Like the, 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 the jounce over the curbs damages their, their grip level and like really unsettles them in bad ways. But the cars are also so prone to understeering that the drivers have to use more curb than even they were using, I think in previous years under the, the previous aero package and that seemed to be happening with, with, with Charles when, when he lost, it was just like, 
riding what were not particularly steep curbs uh, through, you know, through that sort of switchback section. But throughout the weekend, I was just noticing the sheer number of drivers who seemed to upset their run by effectively sort of jouncing over the curb. But then you look at how the cars are cornering and you need you need to clip the apex that tight uh, because the car can't really make the exit if you don't. And so I like like I don't know people like you know what I'm curious if other people are seeing the same thing. But to me, it definitely looks like cars turn bad, so you use more you use more curb, uh, you know, through through the corner. But then the car also can't handle uh, the the disturbance of the you know gap between the uh, floor and the road that the curb uh, causes. Yeah, while we're on uh, this this subject and Ferrari, you know they they did bring a an upgrade package to Miami. Apparently, it's not all of the upgrade package. There's uh, more coming at Imola. Uh, senior performance engineer Jock Clear said um, after the race, though, that these upgrades did their job. Quote, uh, and this from I believe this is the Formula One website. Yes. Uh, they did their job to make the car more benign and predictable in the medium and high speed corners. This is not the way that Charles Leclerc sees it uh, in this quote from the BBC quote. We are competitive in qualifying, but once we come to race day, we are struggling like crazy. The window of our car is so narrow. And whenever you get a little bit out, it has huge consequences on the balance. It's from one corner to the other. And even in one corner, and sometimes you can have huge understeer, which goes to huge oversteer, and this is not ideal to have confidence in the car. So, I mean, Mercedes were talking about a similar dynamic, though, even without mm -hmm. upgrades, right? Where it was like we were good in practice, and then the car just like went away from them uh, over the course of the weekend. The point, like, it, it it did not sound like the field just caught up to them, and they couldn't like you know they sort of hit the limits of what was possible with setup. It sounded from the way the drivers were talking that on Friday, car was good. And then with every successive day, or at least definitely on Saturday, it was just not the same, not the same driving characteristics. Uh, it, it seems like a real through line here that these cars are temperamental and not predictably responsive in the way that, like, you know, we know race cars are supposed to be. I guess we might as well touch on this right now because it informs, I think, a lot of the dynamics of this race as well. Um, you know, before the... Before we got to qualifying, even, I think some of the drivers were talking about how bad the grip was here, and uh, I think Perez was the one who was the sort of most widely quoted, saying that the entire, the, you know, in practice, running the entire circuit feels like you're driving out on intermediates uh, in terms of grip levels. And uh, Mario You mean uh, like Zola, intermediate, say? Right, like rain tires? Uh Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it, it just it just feels like slick conditions uh, out wow. there. I don't. I hope he didn't mean it feels like you're running on inters on a dry track because that sounds undrivable. Uh, <laughs> although maybe he did because uh, so Pirelli's head of open wheel motorsport, uh, basically the the guy who handles the F1 account of, effectively, uh, Mar Mario Mazzola, uh was ex like gave a pretty detailed explanation of what was going on with the Miami track surface, especially because this was an issue at last year's race. And then was obviously a pain point at this one. And uh, so the, 
you know, obviously saying this with a grain of salt, this this will be Pirelli saying this, where it's obviously it's not the compound, it's the it's the track surface. But he did he, he did like he did make the point that uh, this is a this was a track that like was uh, effectively it's like pretty recently like resurfaced like you know freshly laid down asphalt and those track surfaces just keep like yielding up oil uh at you know at, in their first years like following install and so the the track surface does tend to be like slicker than you were expecting even in dry conditions but uh the funny this is where i think Miami gets really devilish. He explained that like so the cars will wick away that oil surface as they as they run and so you will hear them talking about like grip levels are increasing, the cars are going faster. But then like you will get more complaints about track surface because the thing is where the cars aren't running offline in addition to the marble buildup, none of that wicking has occurred. So at the start of the at the start of the weekend, the track surface is kind of universally uniformly shitty. And the drivers are reacting to that. But then as they sort of clean up the racing line, it loses that uniformity, but it becomes more treacherous because of how bad the offline conditions are. Uh, he says that, you know, grip increased by about 10% over, uh, you know, over the course of the weekend, which was sort of what their, their models suggested. But as soon as you were a bit outside the racing line, as all said, it becomes snappy and difficult to control. Hmm. It's dusty and the level of drip is not as good. I believe that probably is the reason why we saw some mistakes and we saw some drivers struggling in controlling the car. I believe that interview came shortly after the Claire ended up in the wall in quality. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see who gets caught out in the race. Um, let's take it through the start here. Perez has a good start uh, from pole position, leads into the first corner. Uh, Magnuson, unfortunately, gets swamped by Gasly on the outside and Russell on the inside, leaving him in sixth uh, ahead of Leclerc. Uh, Verstappen, who started on the hard tire as opposed to the rest of the top 10, I believe, in mediums, uh, doesn't immediately take any places, but I think we all know that that's about to change soon. Uh, and also shout out to Oscar Piastri, uh, starting 19th, making up five places in the opening lap on the soft tire. Uh, and it might've been six if it wasn't Hamilton sitting in 13th place. Uh, the onboard video on F1's YouTube channel, uh, captures their fight pretty well. Um, Wait, is that despite DeVries running up the back of him? That was Lando. In turn one. Oh, that was okay. That's a bad, yeah. My note. I I wasn't sure which McLaren it was. Yeah, because this was the thing that leaped out at me was DeFries having like the slow motion, uh, just overshooting the traffic. Yes. Yeah, and Lando actually had a pretty good start too. Uh, unfortunately for him, um, Piastri though had a a systems failure around lap six. He in the quote that I saw, uh, he wasn't even sure what it was. He's like, I don't know, it's brake by wire or you know. DRS or something, some electrical thing. Um, he still managed to finish the race, though, as did everyone else. Everyone finished the Miami Grand Prix, which is kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, back to the race. Lap three, Leclerc starts trying to take that sixth place from Magnuson. And I say starts because this battle pops up many times throughout this race Epic uh, it's probably yeah. probably not what you want to see at ferrari but like probably one of the battles of the 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 race because like oh yeah uh it, it felt like 
nobody had the advantage. It was just kind of like who had their battery charged at a given moment and mm-hmm. who was going to sort of fall back and like just tuck in behind waiting for the next DRS. It was it was a real honest to god duel uh b- between those cars and there was no point where like the Ferrari as sort of the marquee team ever sort of got got the bit between the teeth and and took off. Uh yeah, it, it felt like they were cursed to keep running afoul of each other uh throughout a lot of this race. Yeah, but it, it starts with a bang. Leclerc passes on the inside after a run down that back straight which uh we're going to talk about a lot. Um, but as they come back to the main straight, both Magnuson and Verstappen, who's behind him, uh, open up a can of DRS. And while Magnuson gets by Leclerc, Verstappen gets by both of them, going from eighth to sixth. Uh, that 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 moment where they bracketed him uh, yeah. was like just one of my favorite moments of <laughs> uh, of the race. Um, it was it was terrific stuff. Just the way that all this unfolds for Verstappen uh, and is sort of perfectly, uh, you know, is, is perfectly teed up for him. But the one one thing I did note here early in the race too is uh, at the end of that long straight before you come on to the S's leading to the start finish uh, line. Man, that Red Bull can take that corner like no other car on the grid can. Like, yeah. Max was able to hang that around the inside in a way that I not see. I don't think I saw any other car even attempting those sort of, like, go-underneath passes. Uh, and and Max just, like, had that utter assurance that the car would, like, follow his lead uh, through yeah. there. And just, again, a real demonstration of this car is a different class of car than anything else out there. Yeah, even going offline, like you said, into into the scary stuff. Uh, but yeah, Verstappen's just getting started, of course. On lap eight, he dives to the inside of Russell at the end of the back straight to take 15th, or I'm sorry, fifth place. Uh, Verstappen then does the same thing on the next lap to take fourth from Pierre Gasly. Uh, shortly thereafter, at the end of the main straight, Verstappen, or uh, Russell rides Verstappen's coattails and swoops by Gasly as well into fifth place. So Russell, not looking too shabby in this one. Um, lap 13, another attack. Go ahead. Well, also just I had a note here that this is where Hamilton starts saying, I'm not sure we're going to finish this race, mm. um, which is just a bit of an odd note. It doesn't, nothing comes of it. Uh, he, like, he had an okay race, not a great one, but it sort of seemed like he was feeling such a lack of speed that maybe he had fears that his engine was like off uh, mm. and, and may not be able to complete. But like another one of those races where the Mercedes drivers were not uh, super comfortable uh, for you know, for the duration. Yeah. Um, another attack on Magnuson happens at lap 13 uh, from Leclerc for seventh place. Leclerc dives to the inside, but gets out of shape on the exit. And then Magnuson passes him back in that quick left, right section. Uh, then the next lap for Stappen gets signs at the end of the back straight. No problem. And into the podium places. And at this point, Alonso is just ahead uh, and is only three and a half seconds behind Perez. So uh, the question is, you know, now how is that going to play out once Verstappen inevitably gets past him? And no surprise, that happens. Um, gets, he gets by Alonso, Verstappen does, at the same place on the next lap and starts chasing down his teammate. Uh, lap 18, Sainz takes a pit stop and locks up as he enters the pit lane, catching the eyes of the race stewards who hand him a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane. Like, 
you know, I, I think there like there's a lot of um, you know Ferrari finding ways to screw up is almost uh, mimetic at this point. But I do feel like. You know, maybe maybe Charles gets like maybe the narrative swings too hard against Charles uh, from time to time, but I do sometimes feel like <sighs> what's the way to put it? Um, I kind of don't fully trust either of their drivers. Like, you know what I mean? If I if I'm Ferrari there and I'm sitting like I'm thinking about when the next next contract window comes along, I think they're both very good drivers, but like the speeding in the pit lane thing bugged me quite a bit because uh, it's like. The FIA doesn't play around with this. This isn't a, like, oh, the marshals may or may not do something about it. It's a pretty black and white rule with pretty black and white consequences. Uh, and and it's not a judgment call. It's like there's no timing chips involved. You know, it's it, there's sensors. It's not. You know. I didn't see anything in the news stories. Did you see anything like where he, like, th- th- where he explains, like, what happened? Did something, like, I don't, yeah, go I don't wrong know. during I his guess. entry? I but just, yeah, it, it was like he just missed his breaking point. Yeah, it was just one of those moments where I was like, especially on a weekend where like your teammate did that uh, in qualifying, where they end up in in the wall. Like, you need to not give places away, uh, you know, like this. Yeah. Uh, lap twenty one, Perez pits from the lead of the race to get off those medium tires, coming out in fourth behind Ocon, who I also believe has not yet pitted uh, at this point. Um, and, but, uh, that seeds the lead of the race to Verstappen, who also has yet to pit because he started on hard tires. Uh, Alonso who pitted after signs has caught up, uh, to signs, um, uh, by lap 27th, lap 27 and passes him here for fourth place. Uh, the Astons really, I think, uh, deserve a lot of credit for making this season interesting because, it's not the Ferraris, and it's not the Mercedes, who also, uh, I should point out, do also have upgrades coming at Imola. Mercedes does. Well, and I think in addition to the Essence sort of making the races interesting, we have this entire delightful um, imposter Alonso situation unfolding <laughs> yes. at Aston Martin that has really like been a fun bit of seasoning on this whole season where like, uh, you know, I don't know when or where it happened, but at some point the real Fernando Alonso was abducted or replaced or killed off uh, and the entire season is being played by a different driver. Uh, it's, yeah. it's terrific. The, the bit where he was, uh, where he sort of made a point of calling attention to the fact that he's watching the race on the jumbotron and yes. had seen stroll, yes. uh, oh executing an overtake, uh, and was like, what position is that for? That was a, that was a good move. It is, <laughs> it is so bizarre, but I will say this, like, I, I think if you, if you believe, if you take the thesis that Fernando's always been a deeply political animal and plays the politics of every team. You know, his, Ferrari's a dog-eat-dog place, especially in the wake of Schumacher. Uh, McLaren also just had sort of weird dynamics when when he was there both times. Uh, and, you know, I think it's pretty clear, uh, you know, one, he is, I think he does genuinely like, like uh, dealing with this, likes driving this car, but also... The billionaire boss uh, is, it owns this team for the sake of his son, who is Alonzo's teammate, and it is, it's so it's so enjoy it's so laughably naked, in just in terms of like I love this boy, 
I can't I can't wait to see Lance thrive once I once I retire. He'll be leading Aston Martin for years. What a great kid. It is hysterically funny. I think a lot of this like what happened to Fernando's personality is the poli- the political incentives change. Like here the political incentives are yes sir, I do love your son like a little brother. <laughs> In fact, I, maybe I wish I w- he was my son. Don't care. Uh whatever. I will give him all the tips he needs. Man. Uh, well, lap 37, we're back to Leclerc on Magnussen once again, this time for 11th place. Leclerc takes the inside once more at the end of the back straight, but guess what? Magnussen stays with him and sweeps past on the main straight to retake the position yet again. And each time this happens, the commentators expect it to be a done deal and are surprised every time. And I guess, frankly, so was I, you know, mag stand though I am. But you just get used to Ferrari being able to keep those places, but you just—I mean, but the thing, like you just—you just assume the Ferrari is going to be faster. You assume the Ferrari at some point yeah. is just going to be like, okay, now it's time for it to be the faster car, and it just wasn't this weekend. And if that is the case, then you will get like honestly, this was the most um, like F one manager ass duel that I'd seen. I, I fell <laughs> off that game, right? But one of the things that was a real issue in that was you couldn't really close out overtakes. Like, t- cars did not drive away from the car they had overtaken. The tow was so powerful uh, that, like, you would just get in this, like, cycle of charging battery back up and overtaking. That rarely happens in real life, but I feel like it was happening in this race. Uh, the other Ferrari is also not having a great time. Russell getting by signs for fourth in that powerful turn 17. Uh, but back to the Leclerc Magnuson fight, which continues on lap 38. Leclerc does the smart thing this time and waits until that second DRS zone, where Magnuson kept getting past him uh, to make his attack. And this time it works. Leclerc getting by on the main straight into ninth place at turn one as Hamilton pits. Uh, Hamilton had made, up to, made it up to seventh place, comes out in 12th behind his old teammate Valtteri Botas, and has a little scrap with him eventually getting by with his new medium tires. Um, that was fun for old time's sake. It was, and I think it was sort of one of the, there was less fun happening as the race wore on because I think the thing that I was really excited about, I think a lot of us were excited about was that we would see some sort of Max Sergio duel at the end. Certainly this was something that Horner tipped when they were doing the pit wall interview saying that their, you know, their simulation data suggested that the two would be pretty close to one another uh, with three laps to go. And it was just after, like, you started to get the sinking feeling uh, in terms of just will there be a duel. Max's first stint was so, so good uh, that it sort of seemed like when he went on to the mediums, they wouldn't have to go very long. Uh, <clears throat> you know, he wouldn't need miracles out of the mediums because he had an amazing stint on the hards. He was setting you know, purple times pretty deep into the race on, on Warren Hards. And Sergio was contending with mediums that were fading uh pretty uh you know pretty pretty badly uh for for a lot of that. And when his when his window opened, uh the performance never like came to him on those on those tires the way it had come to to Max. And you know, I think it's you know it's it's hard to say. I think you know uh, Perez even admitted this. It's, it is hard to say. Uh, what would have happened if they'd been on like identical strategies, uh, for for instance? But I do think it was one of those, one of those races that really does demonstrate like this is why Max is the favorite. This is why he's more likely to win this thing is because like there is sort of an 
implacability and just a consistency to his ability to his ability to like manage a race and dictate pace in a way that like you know this was a place where you know Sergio kind of needed to find something uh you know in in that vein to pull out maybe it, it wasn't possible on the strategy he was given i don't know but either way by the end it wasn't close um it was done and dusted uh pretty much by the time the 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 um the pit cycle was complete yeah, so lap 45 is when Verstappen finally pits, and while he does come out behind Perez, Perez is on those old, harder tires, while Verstappen's on new mediums. So it's only a matter of time. Two laps worth of time, as it turns out, is all it takes, and we get a pretty cool helmet cam shot as they zoom through the Death Star trench run section. Uh, Perez defends to the inside at the end of the back straight, forcing Verstappen to try and fail at overtaking around the outside. Uh, but as we learned with Clara Magnuson, it is the main straight where there's another opportunity, and sure enough, Verstappen pounces, pulling to the outside on the main straight. Uh, Perez does as much as he possibly can to break late and make it hard for Verstappen, and it is a great move. Uh, that was that was cool. At least we got one kind yeah. of interesting action. Um, but Verstappen just has too much grip and uh, hangs on through turn one to take the lead with 10 laps to go. Uh, lap 53... Uh, Leclerc's hunting Gasly, who has admirably hung tight in sixth place, but unfortunately for him, locks up and allows Leclerc through. Uh, that backward momentum continues and as Hamilton also gets by Gasly on the back straight for seventh on his new medium tire tires. And that forward momentum continues for Hamilton as he takes sixth from Leclerc at the end of the back straight. Uh, so some, some late game. Action, but in the end, Verstappen wins from ninth place, beating his teammate by 5.4 seconds. So those are the top two. Coming home in a lonely third, Fernando Alonso. Uh, yet another podium position for Aston Martin. Uh, George Russell in fourth, Carlos Sainz in fifth, Lewis Hamilton making it up to sixth place, Charles Leclerc coming home where he started in seventh place, Pierre Gasly in eighth, Esteban Ocon in ninth, and Kevin Magnuson hanging on to the points paying positions in 10th. Behind him, Yuki Tsunoda in 11th, Lance Stroll in 12th, Valtteri Botas in 13th, Alex Albon in 14th, Nico Hulkenberg in 15th, and we've got Joe Guan Yu, Lando Norris, Nick DeVries, Oscar Piastri, and Logan Sargent. Uh, Verstappen, fastest lap. Gets that extra point. Meaning... That in the driver standings, he is on top with 119 points to his teammates, 105 for Sergio Perez. Fernando Alonso is in third with 75 points. Lewis Hamilton in fourth with 56. Carlos Sainz is in fifth with 44 points. George Russell in sixth with 40. Charles Leclerc in seventh with 34. Lance Stroll in eighth with 27. Lando Norris in ninth with 10 uh, points. And Pierre Gasly is in 10th with 8. Then we've got Hulkenberg and Ocon with 6. Uh, Botas and Piastri with 4. Joe, Sunoda, and Magnussen with 2. Alex Albon in 18th with 1. And Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries with 0. In the constructor standings, Red Bull Racing is on top with 224 points to Aston Martin's 102 in second place. Mercedes is in 3rd with 96. Ferrari is in 4th with 78 then we've got McLaren in fifth with 14, tied with Alpine. Gene Haas and team are in seventh place with eight points. Alfa Romeo's got six. Alfa Tauri's got two. And Williams in 10th with one point. 
And that's your Miami Grand Prix. What yes, score Rob. did you give it, Drew? What score did you give it? I'm curious. Because, like, I was struck by how, like, when I went out, like, I always watch the races usually on a little bit of a delay uh, for whenever my day gets around to it. And so when I open Twitter, I sort of see what the reactions were. And I was really struck by how much a lot of people in just F1 media, F1 fan fandom, seemed to really hate this race. Uh, joking about like just it was a complete waste that nothing, a complete waste, nothing happened uh, during it, which was kind of weird for me because like I didn't come away feeling that way about this. I, I didn't feel that way as I was watching it. I didn't feel that way like coming out of it. Uh, and so I definitely had a weird sensation of like. Am I just being way too generous to this race? Um, did, did this race suck? And I was just kind of like oblivious to the sheer absence of stuff happening. Yeah, you know, I um, so I gave it a two out of four, um, which is usually what mm-hmm. I oh, I call a strategy race. Um, but it wasn't really a strategy race. I think in the moment, it's funny because like when I watched the the uh, highlights after the fact, it seemed more interesting. Um, than when I watched it live. And I don't really know why that is. I think maybe uh, it gets undercut a little bit by, you know, you see Max Verstappen just charging ahead and you kind of know what's going to happen. Um, there were interesting things, like the ba- the Magnuson-Leclerc battle, I think was uh, a really big redeeming quality of it. Um, I think it's just, I-, I think maybe people are just a little resigned to knowing how this race and maybe this season are going to go, or at least we assume that it's going to go that way. Um, and so if, when they're seeing it kind of fall into their expectations, they just go like, well, yeah, I guess nothing interesting is going to happen here, which is a shame because you're right. There were some redeeming qualities here. Yeah. I, uh, like in fairness, once you point that out, when I look at my notes, like stuff, like it's a lot of, uh, mag and lack in my notes, uh, yeah. doing doing things in my sort of uh, notebook, because yeah, they like they did probably substantially redeem this uh, from being a bit processional. But I don't know. Yeah, there there was enough happening here. Like to me, it felt like a pretty normal F one race in terms of yeah. yeah, it was a fair bit of strategy, a lot of pace management, uh, some good duels, but not near the front. But a lot of it's going to be just determined by relative strength of stints uh, as as the race went along. But that's kind of like the F1 I grew up on, so it, it does feel pretty normal to me. I It's just like, yeah, we're just a long way off from 2021. Uh, you know, that's not, yeah. we probably won't see that again for a little bit. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully we will, but... That was a very unusual season uh, in in Formula One, as like these changing of the guard seasons tend to be. And now we're in this bit of a, a phase where there's a there's a dominant team, and un- unfortunately, like even some of the front runners who are being beaten have also kind of sorted out into uh, pretty static positions, uh, you know, on on the grid. But yeah, I don't know. It was. Um, I didn't. I didn't like. Like this was so far. This is so much better than Baku for me. I think is the big thing. Is like another race like ba- uh, Baku. I would have lost my mind. And here I was like, this was this was fine. Uh, maybe it's just. Maybe it all just gets sillier because the Miami of it all uh, makes the entire event seem a bit like a damn squib. Yeah, and I think that is something that everyone can get behind uh, in their dislike of um, is. 
wow, that Miami driver's entrance thing. Did you watch any of that? I did. So this was unusually, like, I guess because I taped it off ABC, I got the whole pre-race show thing Mm. with them doing their Mm -hmm. whole, like, hey, guys, what about this? A police escort to the stadium? What? And I was like, are American cops, like, a novelty to other countries? Everyone's like, wow, American (laughs) cops is just the coolest shit in the world. And I'm like, this is such a bizarre thing uh, to be like, you know, gee, run the siren, Mr. Policeman, as we get the the motorcycle uh, trip to to the stadium. But then, yeah, then we got the Will.i.am Orchestra and LL Cool J, like, hyping up the walkout. Uh, the the walkouts for the, for the drivers. <laughs> yep. So the whole thing, there's an infamous esports video uh, that has been. I've. They keep trying to scrub it, and I think they've come closest, like closer than they ever have. It's the Heroes of New Earth, uh, like finals back ages ago, where they. You know, esports was all about hype. What's a cool, awesome venue to take over for an esports event? Um, and Heroes of New Earth, which, if you don't remember, was a League of Legends style game, uh, a MOBA, but it was the game that League of Legends kind of substantially cribbed from and then, like, demolished in the marketplace. But they did their, like, global finals in this Vegas penthouse where the deal was it had a full-size basketball court in the penthouse. Mm, mm-hmm. And this is going to be, like, just the coolest. Like, the eSport, the Here's New Earth, like, champion, championship contending teams walking out. Uh, they had the smoke machines, the lights, etc. cetera. Uh, they didn't have anyone who knew how to light the scene. So when they cut the overhead lights in the basketball court, the scene just became pitch black. <laughs> and so, and they didn't mic it either a- appropriately. So you had the one guy on the, on the mic reading it out, reading names out in exactly that way. And then through a haze of like Twitch compression, you would see like the faint glow of the LED lights for where the walkout like tunnels were. And then, like dim figures, sort of shuffling out uh, oh, in the in the middle of this. And the only thing the mic was picking up was the sound of uh, the air canisters firing uh, each time these guys <laughs> came out. And beyond that, it was just like dead silent. One of the one of the saddest things uh, ever. But this gave off those vibes of like you think like. It, the whole thing is like clearly this is going to like pump them up. This is going to like you know show this is a special event. And instead, you're just kind of left like, what is this? Who is this for? Yeah, that, great question. I when I was watching it, I I felt so conspicuously American and like embarrassed a little bit. Like I, I promise, it's not. We don't do this for everything. Uh, George Russell in this article. Most article, things. Right. Yeah. Um, He says, I guess it's the American way of doing things in sport. Personally, it's probably not for me. I'm here to race, not here for the show. I'm here to drive and I'm here to win. It is distracting because we're on the grid for half an hour in all of our overalls uh, in the sun. 
I don't think there's any other sports in the world that 30 minutes before you go out to do your business, you're out there in the sun, all the cameras on you making a bit of a show of it. I can appreciate that in the entertainment world, but as I said, we only want the best for the sport. We're open to changes, but I guess we wouldn't want to see it every weekend. Or would I? Yeah, I think Lando also had a good comment about just like, they keep asking us to do more on these weekends. In addition to driving the cars, they keep like adding to our obligations that we have to fulfill. Uh, and eventually it's just like, it's a little too much given how much we are, we are already doing how many of these race weekends there are. But yeah, I, I I'm with you. It was like, there's such a layer of artifice to it because we don't do this at a lot of American sports events. Like I guess before basketball games, they call out the starting five, which is a different thing than the starting 20 in <laughs> F1. Yep. It's a very different thing when they read out the names of five players uh, versus, versus 20. And I also feel like that, I guess maybe the other commonality with the esports thing, maybe this is the other part of why I was thinking of it, uh, is that there's also this degree of like, we have to package these drivers as like, the way we package athletes in other sports, almost as if like, hey, these guys are athletes too. Let's pretend, you know, pretend for a second these guys are athletes. And it's kind of condescending both to like the fans who are there and the actual like drivers competing because it's like, well, you know, what, however you want to define athlete, they are great elite competitors, and that is you know worthy of respect in its in in itself. And you don't need to put them in the trappings of other sports and other sports cultures to give them like credibility. Uh, you know, I think everyone, like, you know, this, this notion of the America, like F1's growing American fan base, they've signed up for F1 as it is. And so you don't need to be doing the whole, uh, you know, Monday night raw thing of, of giving these guys little walkout intros. You know, you know what, what it made me, and I just put this together, but what it made me feel like is uh, it reminded me of when they had grid girls where it's like, look, you're dumb. You'll look at this and find it exciting. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's move on from that and get to uh, <laughs> the owner of Alpine saying some stuff. Yeah. Um, so... Before the race, uh, Lauren Rossi, the head, of, the head of Alpine, just lit into Alpine season so far, uh, saying the team was amateurish, uh, complaining about how bad Bahrain was, uh, you know, just just how abysmal they were in Baku, and it's just it's just overall overall unacceptable. And I think he also went out of his way to say, like, given the resources we are pouring into this team, the results are completely. Uh, out of line with what we are getting out of this. And it's, you know, sometimes there's tea leaves and sometimes you're basically just hanging a neon sign, uh, you know, over the team that doesn't seem good for, for uh, Omar in this, in this scenario. Like that was, it, it certainly said to me, like this either turns around or people are getting fired. Uh, so Omar was asked about this during this weekend, and in his very uh, Safnauer-esque way, he said he hadn't read the article or the comments, uh, and he wasn't worried about it. Uh, you know, obviously it has been difficult to start to the season, but 
Uh, as he put it, all we can do when we have issues like Baku is find and understand the root cause of why it happened, make sure we either put the process or the people in place so it doesn't happen again. We had an engine fire on one side, and we've got to make sure that doesn't happen. Then we had some finger trouble on the other. With finger trouble, once you understand how it happens, I don't know. <laughs> Just, I see, I see you tilting your head. I don't know what finger trouble is. We need to add finger trouble to that. We just put that in the bucket with plenum issues that we sometimes hear about in like IndyCar. Just like weird shit that happens with cars. Uh, with finger trouble, once you understand how it happens, there's ways to mitigate that. That's what well, we'll do. Uh, we've done it already. It didn't happen here. So, Omar's basically like, we got it. I'm not worrying about it. I'm not going to engage my boss's comments about basically wanting to fire all our assets. He says, I'll talk to, you know, obviously I'll raise it with him, uh, over, over this weekend. Meanwhile, in the background of this Al Alpine is also, uh, high staffing up. Uh, they're, they're looking to put their efforts more on a, more on a par with the other teams. Uh, as Omar said that, you know, if you compare aerodynamics departments, for instance, um, Red Bull has about 50 people and Alpine has about 38, but the thing they're really lacking is sort of the senior aerodynamics folks who are, have experiences leading teams. And also as you know, the way Safnauer put it, department heads basically get to steal a lot of people's ideas. And that's one of the big advantages of like hiring senior staff is you don't just hire the one brain, you hire all the, all the stuff that was fed into that brain by their directs. Uh, and so that's one reason why these folks are so desirable and poachable. Um, but at the same time, it certainly looks like, you know, if you're joining Alpine right now, you're running into a burning garage and yeah, these are really harsh pointed comments from Laura Rossi. Uh, but the thing that keep like, is just in the background. All this is, um, Alain Prost having that messy breakup with Alpine saying that Laura Rossi was a prima donna who wanted all the credit for the team, uh, when things were going well and basically was just on a massive ego trip. And if we think about it, like we saw him drive to survive, uh, in this most recent season when it looks like it's going to be a good year, he's having his meetings with Omar and it's like, let's, you know, real hands on. Like I'm, I'm here running the team with you. Well, there's none of that we shit here, is there? Uh, it's all, it's all. What are you guys doing with my money? Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. Like it, like to me, I imagine Alan Prost has a, you know, yeah, obviously a temperamental guy, but also a guy who's been around the sport for ages. I imagine has a reasonably th thick skin. This sure tracks with his eval of of Rossi, and I find that hard to set aside when when I look at this. And I can just imagine how oil and water. Rossi's temperament, once he what he wants to get out of running a team, is with Otmar's "Hey, just leave us alone. We know what we're doing." Style. Yeah. Uh, well, what are we doing, Rob, with Miami? Maybe nothing, but apparently, hmm. uh, some of the organizers are pushing to. What if it were a night race? Uh, some of this, I guess, the thing that's driving it is, I guess, last year's race was too hot and it was kind of miserable to attend uh this year was much milder but there's some concern that you know when when the weather's when the weather's bad meaning hot like it it really does uh make it a less appealing 
venue uh and make it a, a harder place for fans and and probably for drivers as well but it's just a just a harder event to attend and a harder harder event to run uh so the notion is what if we turned it into a night race imagine a night race also would do a great job of again sort of masking the whole parking lot aspect of the of of the entire thing but as you know immediately the thing that immediately emerges is the time zones don't work out for an East Coast night race at all. Uh, you know, you you would get you would get yeah you get some primetime hours for the like North America, but you are squarely in the middle of the night if you are talking about um, Europe, and you're still pretty late at night if you're talking just about the UK. And so you know the thing that they've done with Vegas is it's happening so late that it becomes like a dawn race in Europe. Uh, but Miami, you can't really pull that trick. And so there's, you know, it's being discussed as a way to make the, the fan experience more pleasant. Uh, though ticket sales were, were, were apparently great this year. Um, it was a very successful event, but yeah, there's just overall concerns about the viability of this, uh, event as it is constructed, but it kind of sounds like given the time zone issues, a night race in Miami may be a non-starter. Well, Las Vegas is going to be a, a night race. Uh, granted, it's on the West Coast, so maybe yeah. that has some changes there. Um, but the thing I'm concerned about is, like you said, Miami was too hot. I think Vegas is going to be cold. I am looking at the average temperature here for Las Vegas from Weather Underground. Historic average, 56 degrees for November 18th. That's not that's not Formula One weather, but it is interesting weather. But no, sure I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, like I can like I imagine we are in for a lot of complaints about the track surface again. Complaints about grip. Uh, complaints about the tires. But yeah, I think the you know the. The, the the Vegas thing is like yeah the the West Coast doing it doing it on the West Coast means it's eight hours uh you know effectively behind um it's eight hours behind like the UK yeah yeah and so you know you run that race at eleven midnight it's a dawn it's an early morning race in the UK and it's mid morning for the rest of Europe none of that holds for for Miami uh, so yeah I think they're uh, like I am also just not sure. I think Bahrain was so transformed by moving it to being a night race that I think to an extent everyone has it in their heads that like, you know, this could be a night race. Remember how like that one bad race turned into a really good race once we held it at night? And it does, I don't think it works that way. I think like I think Bahrain is fundamentally very a very solid track uh and is actually kind of a the aesthetic of it really does like play at night. I'm not sure the whole, like, what if we do it Singapore where we just cover it in lights and we do that over the Hard Rock Stadium car park. I don't know that that's, I don't know if that's moving the needle. Uh, and I imagine it might even just get weirder for people to attend in Miami because now, like, you're not even out in the sun. You know what I mean? Like, the, you're, you, this, isn't, you're not, this isn't beach weather. Uh, now you were, just, you were just in a parking lot at night. I don't know. Uh, well, you you had mentioned uh, earlier before um, employee swaps 
happening or, or the gathering of employees. Um, what's going on at Red Bull and Ferrari? So the word, so, you know, we've known that, uh, Laura Mekis has been tapped to head over to AlphaTauri and will basically be replacing Franz Tost over there. Uh, who, by the way, Franz Tost has said, I don't hate my engineers anymore. We fired the bad one. Um, France, France toss just in full, don't give a damn mode over Alvatore. But anyway, uh, so Mekis is going to head over there. So why is he still at Ferrari? Why, like, usually these guys sort of go into what's called gardening leave, where you're just sort of playing out your contract, but you're no longer involved in day to day ops. But they're having him play out the thread, uh, at, at Ferrari, uh, a bit. And, uh, Tost and Horner, I think, both alluded to the fact that, like, some of this is has to be negotiated between uh, Mechis and Ferrari, but the other component of this is Ferrari and Red Bull have a number of staff, I guess, on both sides that, like, want to switch teams. Hmm. And <laughs> it's being a described as like a hostage swap. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that, like, Mechis is a major bargaining chip. And the thing that's going to like break the logjam is putting down the names that are transferring and figuring out who who is willing to let who go early and who is someone they want to uh, keep away from the other team as long as humanly possible. Well, I'll tell you who it's not, and that is uh, Red Bull Chief Aerodynamicist Adrian Newey, who just re-signed for you know the next thousand years with Red Bull. So, uh. Okay, well, uh, last bit of news here. It's kind of a fun one. We, I don't know when this was, maybe a year or two ago, we were shocked to discover that uh, among the racing, I don't know, brotherhood, is uh, there There lurks a Habsburg. <laughs> and I believe we had the whole, like, Habsburg, Habsburg? And the answer was yes. Yes, uh, he has a full Habsburg name. Um, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, yes, but Ferdinand, like if, if the Holy Roman Empire was still a thing, he would be like the emperor probably or something. So, yes, uh, Ferdinand Zvonimir Maria Balthus Keith Michael Otto Antal Bonman uh, Leonard von Habsburg Lothringen is the heir to the throne. He is the crown prince of Austria. Uh, sorry, he's the Archduke of Austria, Royal Prince of Hungary, and would be addressed as Imperial and Royal Highness if only Austrian law didn't make it illegal for him to use those titles in his country. This is an article from the New York Times. They did a profile on uh, on Ferdinand Habsburg. Um, I think it, sort of uh, around the coronation uh, of um, King Charles um, as sort of a look like, well, what happened? What happens when you're a royal, but there's no royalty in your country? Um, and it turns out you just race cars. Um, there's a really great picture of him uh, just sitting in the Danube River alone with a swan. Um, it's very uh, it's very Daniel Kvyat Instagram yep. vibes. Um, I, I love it. Hey, honestly, the article is fun, but I'll, I'll so you should read it, and I'll link it in the show notes. But um, there is a uh, my my favorite, I think, part of it is learning that uh, all there are six hundred Habsburgs living today, 
um, and that they all have a WhatsApp group. He says, oh I can travel God. anywhere in the world, and I text the group and stay, say where I'm going and when, and there is a house I can stay at. He added with a laugh, it's like a free Airbnb for us Habsburgs. There's a little bit of me that's like kind of off with their heads, but also this is so funny. It is yeah. just so damn funny uh, that this is sort of what's left of like the premier like royal house of of Europe. Uh, and honestly, like you know what, got to abolish those monarchies because then you get you know the like the arist the aristocratic pretensions like don't have an outlet and they can only go like kind of weird fun yes. places like let's yes. race cars. Like so much, but like this is so much better than taking a huge check from Spotify to go to a podcast with your wife that you haven't figured out. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is this is this is the way to be. And it's it's and 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 honestly, that even that's better than uh, what a lot of the royal family gets up to uh, these days. So yeah, uh, I'm I am I am pro. You know, move to republics. And let the nobility pursue their their natural outlets, uh, risking their lives in r- rich men's sports. Yeah, I, I didn't realize he in 2021 he won Le Mans. He's a he's in the World Endurance Championship, and he won Le Mans. I don't know in what class he was, um, but yeah, I, I think another really interesting part of this article was like, so they asked him, like, oh, so are you going to the the coronation? And he's like, no. See the the Catholic royalty. And the non-Catholic, they all like hang out with each other, and the two don't mix. So a little like insight into how that is so funny that even yeah. like centuries later, that yes. split still basically yes. holds. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Good article. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, speaking of royalty, the top three from our F1 fantasy league, which you can join using the link in the show notes, uh, from Miami are uh, thusly uh, on the podium. It is a three-way tie between R.U. Strato. I don't know. Are you? Um, North America, number one America. Mm, debatable. And suck, squeeze, bang, blow, which I uh, can only imagine is uh, things that engines do. Uh, yep. But overall, uh, all of our... Uh, all the points from all the races contributing to this top three in our fantasy league in third place, understeer underscore McBride in number two, Oberhof racing and number one, Lotus begin gentlemen. Very good. Uh, if you would like to send us an email, which we read on our pre-race shows, you can do so at shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or go to F slash emails. Uh, you can also hit us up on the socials. They are linked in our show notes. That is us around the internet. Now let's take it around the world of racing. The World Rally Championship is in Portugal this weekend for the Vodafone Rally de Portugal. The NASCAR Craftsman trucks are at Darlington. Darlington in South Carolina for the... <clears throat> Buckle up, South Carolina. 200. Please, love God. Just buckle your damn seatbelts. Buckle up. The trucks are coming. Um, also, 
at Darlington. Um, we have the NASCAR Xfinity Series racing the Shriners Children's 200. Um, what else? MotoGP is at uh, the Bugatti Circuit for the Le Mans Sprint and Race. Um, IndyCar is at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Maybe you've heard of it for the IMS Road Course. This is not the Indy 500. This is the race that goes on on the twisty bits in the interior. Um, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship is at Laguna Seca for the Motul Course de Monterey. Uh, we got NASCAR. Guess what? They're also God. at Darlington for the Goodyear 400. That blimp still going strong. Uh, and that is all I've got for this episode. Uh, Danny is not here, so he will not be reading from his. Oh, but I got some. I did. I looked it up. Did you? Did you? I looked some stuff up. Yeah. Rob, that's why you're a professional podcaster. So there are two notable things that we celebrate. Uh, This episode's coming on the 10th, right? It is. All right. It's Alio Castro Neves' birthday. Wow. 1975. uh, One of the all time IndyCar greats is born in Sao Paulo. Uh, so happy birthday, birthday to uh, the the ageless the ageless wonder. Uh, I don't think it's his fault that 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 car sucks this year. I think it's I think it's the car. Uh, I don't think it's because he an old man. Uh, he's still he's still going strong. He's still he's still young. Uh, he won the Indy five hundred a couple years ago. Absolutely, he he sure did and uh, did the Spider Man thing. But yeah, this year it's not going well over there. And this is also uh, the anniversary of Jochen Rin's nineteen seventy Monaco Grand Prix victory. Of course, his last Monaco Grand Prix victory because that is his championship winning season, during which uh, he was tragically killed uh, later later in the season and became F one's only posthumous champion. Uh, but May 10th is when he uh, took took the checkered at uh, Monaco. Wow. All right. Um, speaking of other names in the, the racing world, I forgot to mention this from the Ferdinand Habsburg article. Uh, he has a, uh, a sister, Gloria, who's a documentary film producer, and another sister, Eleanor Habsburg D'Ambrosio, who is married to Jerome D'Ambrosio, former Formula E driver. So there's mm-hmm. something about there's something about racing, man. It's in the it's in the blood. It's the, it's the chin, and it's racing. Uh, I final mean, thoughts. You can't, like they don't have cavalry anymore. You know, I think I think this is really <laughs> you like you can't join the horse guards, and so there is only <laughs> gasoline alley. Uh, where are the grid Lippins honors? That's what I want to know. They did. They did. I swear to God, what? I didn't hallucinate this. They did a no. They sorry. They didn't like do grid girls, but they were horses. They never did that. But that would be awesome. Can you imagine just like Fernando Alonso getting just a perfect picture of a horse just letting go right in front of it? No, they didn't do that. Uh, but I swear to God, uh, Ferdinand Hasberg did do a promo video. Yes. I'm gonna guess for a watch. Maybe for something else, but the watch feels right. But it was like him and like precision riders uh, while he's in a race car. Yeah, in I think the the uh, the performance area, yeah. like on dirt. Yeah. I think okay. 
Uh, I'm going to have to find that video. It was more awkward than cool, I'm going to be honest with you. Yep. Uh, but yep. <laughs> that's well it should have been. Yeah. Uh, you're you're going to have to find that uh, Here is the New Earth video for me. Uh, if if such a thing exists, I'd love to put that in the show notes. Uh, but final thoughts on Miami, Rob? Uh, better than Baku this year. And, yeah. you know, so I, I, it didn't it didn't set a new floor. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we got some, got some good action out of it. And, uh, yeah, like you have to, you have to enjoy, you have to enjoy what you can. And if that is Magnuson and Leclerc locked in a Sisyphean struggle for the duration of an otherwise underwhelming race, then so be it. I'll take it. Yes, I will too. Well, uh, if you would like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, including the upcoming Redline. Uh, and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Next week.